0: So, catchall. first of all, I can't believe it's been two years since we've spoken to each other, having arrived in Australia at pretty much the exact same time.
1: How have you yeah. been? Yeah, good, mate. Thank you. Uh, keeping busy. Obviously, this past six months or so has not been great for everybody, but mm. I seem to be okay. Um, work's going well, so yeah, no drama yeah. in mind. How about
0: you? Yeah, well, you know, you're in New South Wales or Sydney, right? Yeah. Yeah, so... I'm six months in lockdown still, but we're getting a bit restless over here. But, you know, we're we're nearly there now and hopefully we can start to go out and start to mingle again. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for joining this podcast. And it's a really interesting one for me because I've started this podcast just to be curious around technology and digital and how that's shaping the future of work. Mm. And a lot of the conversations I've had up to this point have really been focused on how digital is affecting our work in more of a corporate office type environment. But this one, which kind of talks to both our passions of football, I think will be really, really interesting because now we're starting to look at how technology is starting to shape sport. And I think that's where you'd be quite good to have a conversation with. So before we kind of delve into the detail what is your story? How did you get into your profession?
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So I'm traditionally a, a football coach by trade and started coaching in England around 2011, I think. Mm. Yeah, about, yeah, about 2011. I was, I was really fortunate when I was at university to coach at the University of Southampton and I had a really good team. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I went and took my coaching qualifications and just carried on from there. When I graduated, I went out to America for, for a year coach full time there and then upon my return basically started to look at the game through a different lens. So not only through coaching but also sort of by observing games and then trying to analyze and and then trying to find a way in which that could be as beneficial as possible to the team without being too, I guess, overloaded is the right way to express it. So I guess I first kind of come across any like like Should we say, real analysis in the sense when I was working at at Spurs because, again, I was fortunate to work with some some great coaches. And, yeah, when I was working there as a youth development coach in some of the college projects, they would film games and they would look over games and then kind of just uh, grab some clips, either using, you know, basic technology on their Macs to just cut video and stuff like that. And I started to wonder if there was maybe a kind of like easier way to kind of do it. Um, because it seemed it was very time-consuming. And my biggest thing for football is how can we be as efficient as possible? So I went out to see a, a friend who was a former Spurs employee called Steve Foyston, and he was working at the time for FC Lingby, which is um, the top division in the Danish league. He'd been there about, I think, just under six months when I went to visit him. And yeah, I got to see sort of witness firsthand how an analyst actually works and what their workflow looks like so he was using Huddle, which is a global, well-known global brand now, um, of basically a video sharing platform that provides what I would call say minor basic analysis for you. At that time, they actually didn't, but it was still a it's still a good sharing platform for him. So it was able to distribute videos to to not only the players, but I thought most importantly the staff. So obviously, we don't all live under the same roof. And I thought it was important that the manager was able to see training, see games, the assistant, see training, see games, see set pieces. And then what he started to do as well with, with a program that's also quite a big global brand, Sports Code, is he would divide the game up into certain clips. So, certain aspects of the game, as an example, on a basic level, it's in and out of possession or shots on goal and things like that. And you can use the Sports Code software to kind of go into as much detail and depth as you physically can imagine. And not only does it provide clipped footage, but it also provides kind of statistical data back for you as well. So yeah, uh, basically after sort of after being there was in my stable room for three, four days. We watched two games together. Sorry. Well, he was obviously working. I watched two games at FC Lingby. I saw how he interacted on a day to day basis with the players, with the management staff. And upon my return, it was just something I sort of. Saw such a large value in that I wanted to also become involved in. So alongside my kind of coaching role, I tried to take on yeah this also responsibility of of being able to analyse, but analyse appropriately. Just from them, I just kind of I was working with a non-league team at the time, obviously the team you started to play for. That's right. And that's where we kind of me and the manager tried to introduce my first sort of experience into an analyst role. I've got to be honest, I think I've come a long, long way in terms of what I know and how we can use the software and and different things like that. And I've worked with different teams and different projects to sort of, in different ways, which again has been a great experience because I think that there's this misconception in the kind of football world about what an analyst actually does. And the outright definition is to be able to analyse games, but the subtext should really read within line for what the manager wants. Because there's been roles where... I haven't provided a lot of in-depth analysis, but I've also been a valuable analyst, if that makes sense. Mm. So, yeah, that's kind of my experience and exposure to to working in in that environment. And, um, yeah, it's something that I'm continuing with at the moment alongside other coaching and teaching roles as well. Yeah, and
0: where have you seen the kind of opportunities to really leverage this this type of technology, as opposed to before they had this kind of technology where they can kind of watch and analyse games?
1: Sorry, where do I see the opportunity to use the software or to work with the software?
0: Both. I'm a novice at this, so you have to kind of walk me through. Okay,
1: well, yeah, that's fair enough. Well, I know here in Australia there's, there's a university, I don't know if we can name drop, <laughs> but uh, that, that delivers a, an actual degree within performance analysis and they use this type of software and I'm sure they go into more detail with regards to the different types of software and what it does and what it can do and how it can support your role as an analyst. So I guess say for a young, like-minded coach like myself at that time, I may well have gone to study that as a as a degree in that respect. So it's obviously a valued part of the profession over here in sport because well, and I do know that it is in England as well because I've investigated it for, for interns that have come and worked for me. So yeah, I guess the opportunities there for say like a younger person, and not to say that older people wouldn't revert back to further educating themselves. But I think that there could be a potential divide between, say, like an older generation of coach who might not have much awareness of how to use analysis tools, and then how a younger person is going to break into the industry by just having a performance uh, analysis performance degree. So I guess that becomes a difficult part of the market of how do the universities pair this up with actual positions and paid positions as well for people that are graduating. Because, again, that's, that is what you need as a new graduate. And you need a role. You need to be able to put your skill set to use. So I think the opportunity is there. I think my opportunities have come because I have uh, a multi-sided skill set. I mean, I wouldn't be involved in analysis now if I didn't first start coaching.
0: Are you finding that this is, how is the grassroots game adopting this kind of technology? Or are you finding it's more, it's still more of, of a professional push? I think that, because I remember when you brought in, I think it was Huddle, when you brought it in at Bakers, when you were my coach, mm. you pushed out the app, but I, the sense I got was that not many people felt or saw the opportunity in it or were prepared yes. to put the data in. But are you finding yes. that more of the grassroots level are starting to adopt it more now?
1: I think there's two things that are really important about that. One, access. So I think there's more access now. I definitely think, say like the younger generation have... They're much more visual. They want to see their performance. They want to see themselves. But it still needs somebody, in my opinion, it still needs somebody to guide the analysis. Because just by watching what you do doesn't necessarily make you a better player. And also, just being told what you've done wrong doesn't make you a better player either. And I think that it definitely takes a a special skill set to get players to buy into this methodology um, to improve player performance. If that is the goal, Um, like I said, I've had analyst roles where there's no player interaction. So it's just feedback from manager and stuff. So I guess that, like I say, in terms of grassroots, I think that there's also more now kind of like social media status with teams like in UK, say, hashtag United Mm -hmm. and teams like that that are trying to boost the profile, whether that's for a financial gain or whatever. but they're filming their games and then that does allow somebody that does allow an opportunity or access for a game to be analyzed but whether or not that team wants it analyzed i don't know but i think there's plenty more opportunity and access just because of even the standard of filming capacity you know the new iphone now can film games better than my my digital camera can that i was using at baker's you know yeah Yeah.
0: so in terms of the Capturing the data, you know, my only experience is probably wearing an Apple Watch or a Fitbit tracking my steps or how many steps I've done in the game. So, yeah. is that what's needed? So, are players like hooked up with all these different devices while they're playing games and training? And is that um, what's getting all, the, all of the data out?
1: Yeah. So, there's two methods, I guess you can use. You can use tracking data and you can use analysis data. So, tracking data is maybe like a like a GPS unit, and there's a good company called Metrics Sport. So they basically can track how many like power plays you make, how many sprint meters you run, the direction you run and give you like a heat map and radar. So that's all off tracking data, which is like done usually by a unit that a player would wear. That's useful data. And I think that's very valuable and probably will become a lot more consistent in semi, semi professional sport. Um, like it has done now in elite, like I don't know any team in elite sport that wouldn't use tracking data, even if it was just for recovery methods. You know, like the sports science teams now are so in-depth and so important. And I mean, if anybody's read any articles about how Liverpool won the league last year and kept their players fresh and stuff like that, Jurgen Klopp's hands down says that he owes it all to his data department because they're the ones that handle all the important information. So you can track data like that. And in fact, actually, I I do believe the Premier League are just about to roll out a one, like an overarching uh, data that they're going to give to all the clubs. On the player tracking so they're going to share the premier league going to share the same data with all the premier league clubs which i think is great because when you're talking about access and you're saying to a team like man city yes they can pay for whatever they want if you're talking about a team like fulham you know or burnley who may be working on a lot, a lot of budget they may not necessarily obviously value it and therefore in turn don't pay for it and obviously if you go down the levels It's the same story there. You know, if you've got a lot of money, you can pay for it. If you haven't, you can't. So I like the idea that the Premier League are just going to roll this out. So
0: the benefits are that lower league club could see what a higher level club is doing in terms of their,
1: I don't know, their fitness, their... Absolutely. There's one key metric that we have been using this season and it was about sprint metres and Mm -hmm. distance covered. So, in the Premier League, you're looking at getting a certain amount of sprint metres out of a Premier League player and then in the division i was been working in, in mpl one we're saying that we would expect to stay the same amount of distance, the pitch is the same size, but maybe sprint meters would be lower because the level of fitness for a player to consistently keep sprinting is obviously going to be lower than an elite athlete because diet and nutrition recovery, constant mm-hmm. training, access to physios, massages, things like that. So we still expect the same amount of distance, but the sprint metres can be lower. So, And we show the players those figures so the players can see where they are and then uh, what isn't acceptable in, in a certain framework. It's not on a game-by-game. Game. At the end of the day, it would all depend on a game plan. If you were going to press, you'd be covering more sprint metres. If you're going to drop and sit, then obviously you're covering less sprint metres. So like I say, there's that kind of method you can use to capture analysis or, again, the method of stuff like Filming games, using software to cut games, clip games, seeing clips and provide statistical data is also another method.
0: So you know when you're watching a game or a sport and it says such and such player has run 5K in the last 20 minutes, is that from a player wearing something or how are they capturing that?
1: Yeah, they'd be wearing a GPS unit, yeah, or a GPS heart rate unit, yeah.
0: Cool. How have you seen the take up between like the UK,
1: the US and Australia? It's a really good question, and my answer is going to only be a bias in the fact of what my experience has told me. In my honest opinion, there seems to be a lot more access and opportunity in Australia, but there seems to be less buy So I don't know if that, and I'll be brutally honest, that could be down to methodology of approach, which is obviously my responsibility as an analyst and, and coach to be able to make sure that the interaction between The analyst and player is as positive as possible. Um, Maybe that's been an issue. However, trying to use similar methodologies to the UK and America and that haven't worked as well over here kind of shows me that perhaps the the kind of semi-professional player here is not so used to this information and takes it in a, in a negative capacity rather than use it as a positive criticism to improve their game. But I think that also comes down to, which could be a completely another podcast, the culture here in Australia with only having one professional league and not being able to break into that league in any other capacity other than being picked up by one of those teams also leads to a kind of different mentality amongst the players, I think. And
0: are you finding that in general, sportsmen and women probably more positive towards this type of technology as opposed to being like opposed to it?
1: Yeah, I think that like, There seems to be a good buy-in from, say, the younger generation, and I think that maybe because they can see it as another way to to calculate success. You know, if you're asking a player to, as an example, run a certain sprint meters, or if you're asking a player to make a certain pass in a certain area in a certain direction, it gives the player like a metric to measure their objectives against. And you know, like I say, look, if you're asking your number ten to play know, one in three of his forward passes in the final third needs to create a key chance, then you're encouraging that player to continue to pass forward and find gaps and find spaces and try and create things for you as a team. And you can use that as a metric so that when they leave the field, you can say, well, today you were great because you had over 40% of your passes were were chance, were, were, were key chances created. And that's an, obviously an incredible metric. A player could leave the field and you can say, oh, today less than 10% of your passes create key chances. Man. That player could immediately blame the forwards run, could say, oh, but their number six was incredible, like I couldn't get on the ball. You know, So there's always a different way to kind of approach whether people are going to be positive or negative, I think. But I definitely seem to get a better buy-in here. So just as an example, I'd have a better buy-in here from younger players that I've worked with than younger players i work with in England. Yeah. Um, so the
0: interesting thing is I'm wondering if you've had to, because you've probably coached at a time before this type of technology has been around. Have you had to adapt to your management style now when using this data? And the reason why yeah. I say that is because I can probably imagine, how do you coach somebody when you've got hard facts? When you say oh, you, didn't, you didn't provide six key passes and here is the data that proves it. How do you manage those types of players now?
1: So I'll give you a great example and you'll see this data come up time and time and time and time and time again. And you, there's two pieces of key data that are very, very easily transferable to people that don't know a lot about being an analyst. So shots. So a centre forward, your job is to score goals. Now, a centre forward could play one minute, 90 minutes, 50 minutes. They could have 10 of their shots on target. They could have one goal. They could have 10 shots off target but they could have three goals. So the metric of how do you rate your forward has now come down to something called XG. So this is like an even more advanced sort of way of using your data. So the chance is rated against other variables to decide whether the forward should have had the shot in the first place. So it's not necessarily rated on the shot itself, on the forward taking the shot. And that's a much easier variable to show a player and say, you would be better off shooting in these areas, in these scenarios, in these environments, wow. rather than the shots you're currently taking. Yeah. Doesn't matter how many goals you're still going to. At the end of the day, if a corner is taken, the ball is going to be in the air, and you're going to challenge for the aerial ball. Whether you're at the front post in the middle of the goal, at the back post, whether you're running onto the ball, whether you're standing stationary, I still want my forward to attack that ball, regardless. Mm. However if there's a scenario that pans out of where he receives the ball on the edge of the box, and it's because he's broke through the midfield line and then he faces a one-on-one with a defender, could we, in some scenario, tell him that you're better off laying the ball off to the wide right forward that's coming inside and then standing still and receiving the ball back to then have your shot because the defender's dropped off you rather than taking the shot when the defender is closer to you? So you're still trying to mentally break the idea of, I'm not telling you not to shoot, I'm telling you that you need to create a better opportunity to take your shot. Yeah. Do you see what I mean?
0: Yeah, and with all that, do you see that players now start to compare data against each other or is that information quite confidential?
1: So where I've been working, the, the players are free to look at their own stats. They're free to look, look at their own statistics, that's wingers' crossing ratios, that's defenders' tackling ability, that's pullbacks' metres, etc. cetera, et cetera. We as staff compare data across players but we don't often look, we don't often use that comparison of data to show that individual. So I still think that football should be a management game like it shouldn't sit on your statistic. You shouldn't get players to look at a table of numbers and say you're not playing because you sit here on that table of numbers. There still needs to be other things that are really important. So I think that the the player relationship is big, and I guess confidence is a is a massive thing. In my mind, I'm just thinking of forwards because that's the kind of metric we were yeah. using. Yeah. Would I say something like a forward in another team has scored more goals because they're creating better chances for themselves? Yes, I would, because I feel like it's easier for that player to take that information and feel more positive and say other centre forward that we have creates better chances than you do mm. so I still feel that there's that you know you have to kind of weigh up that emotional toll that your information is going to take on a player uh, especially when it comes across in a in a negative capacity so it's that's, a, that's another big thing so
0: you've got to try and almost think about how you can use the data as a motivator rather than um, saying that they're not doing so good
1: yeah, absolutely, and this is where it's important that you don't just look at one variable yeah. in isolation. And I'll give you a good example of that. We measure cross success rate on whether the cross is met or not. So if there's a contact on the cross that's met by our own player, we deem that a successful cross because in our eyes, that's the only way to measure that variable. That can depend on whether we can change it or not. Mm. So we could say to our winger, we want the ball to go into a certain area and that winger deliver that ball into a certain area. But if the forward doesn't make any contact, then it doesn't value as a successful cross because we haven't created anything from it. So I think that there's kind of like information that is important to to look at, but it can't be looked at in isolation because that winger may give you 10 other positive things that, somebody else in your team doesn't give you. So you can't just start picking players on just the metrics of some of the individual ability. And just picking up on
0: when you said, you know, how many corners were met, it sounds like as an analyst currently, it probably takes someone to go through all of the footage and physically record each point. Is that where the job is at the moment? Because
1: that sounds like a full-time job in itself. So the advancement of analysis in the last, five to ten years look I don't know if any other analyst will listen to this but they might prove me wrong but has come along a lot more in the last five to ten years than ever before in the history of technology and sport there are companies now that can basically provide you data on your games by just installing cameras into your stadium so there's a company called Spidio that I've looked at where they basically they capture every metric through AI wow. so anything your player does that metric is captured. Now, at a cost, that is very high. So again, you can have, if the man cities of the world can have every piece of data pumping through them because they can afford it, but can the Burnleys of the world afford that data? Mm. At the moment, the way my current workflow is, is that I have, or assistants <laughs> and one of those roles for a game day would be to capture our team's individual data actions so there'll be someone will have an ipad and they'll be using a piece of software to clip an individual player then the action they perform and whether that action was successful or unsuccessful, and that's how we generate our and data. you're doing
0: that for each player so if a typical squad is what 22 23 players you've got someone doing that for all 23 players and like in a ninety-minute game, you know, on average, how long does that take? Like one of your analysts to do that to go through the whole
1: well, game? I've trained them to be able to do it in ninety minutes.
0: Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's, to me, that that just feels quite laborious. I don't know if I want.
1: To, don't know if that's well, something for me. Is, I think this is a big problem that analysts are going to experience in the industry, right? You, as a football man, you know, having grown up playing football, you know how demanding a coaching role is Mm. because you have been there. You've seen people coach. You've seen what they do. You've seen them be stressed. You've seen them write stuff down. You've seen them try to make decisions. You've seen them speak to players. I'm not sure if if everybody involved in the game truly understands what an analyst actually has to do. And this is the important factor. To get into an industry like analysis, you have to be willing to know how to get what your manager wants in a variety of different ways and that's the key because at the end of the day this could go back to tally chart times where you have a list of players a list of actions and a list of everything and someone could sit there with a pencil and just do it but then we get all that information that runs through my algorithms that i use in excel to create a data dashboard so as soon as the game's over my data is immediately presenting the information with I can give yeah. that back to the manager because that's about the efficient, efficiency of time. You know, however, this person, as an example, could have come to me and only, have, only want to use uh, sports code as an analysis piece of software because that's what they learned in their degree. But that's not the analysis role. Just learning one piece of software mm. is not the role of an analyst. You have to be able to do something that creates what the manager wants Otherwise, you're not valuable. And that's what I don't think the industry sees. I'm not saying that anyone can be a coach and that being an analyst is a very sharp and unique skill set. I'm just saying I'm not sure that everybody knows or appreciates what an analyst has to go through to be able to perform their duty within the constraints of their role.
0: So in the ideal world, are you a coach slash analyst or are you just a coach or are you just an analyst? Like, can you be proficient in both? Is being an analyst taking away anything from your coaching ability?
1: Yeah, I, I, that's, a, that's a great question. I'm finding the balance is massive. And I guess it all depends on what your role is at a club. If you come into, I mean, when we worked together, I came into that club as a coach and then I started to develop analysis skills and started to input analysis set into my coaching role. I've walked in, sorry, not walked in. I work in a role now where my role is just as an analyst and as a set piece, set piece coach. Yeah. Because the roles are very similar in terms of what I have to do to create that role. Do I think do a 50-50 split? Yes, I do. But then what are we going to lose by me 50% of the time not conducting a coaching role and 50% of the time not conducting my analysis role? Yeah. So I think that's a it's a good question, and I think now that yes, being like you know analyzing is a key word as a coach. You need to be able to analyze the game, but the difference between observing and analyzing and being an analyst is stuff along the lines of say writing code or scripting in sports code or creating data dashboards in Excel or using Tableau to create like visualizations for people to look at. Because as a coach, coach to coach, I can say oh, that flat didn't play very well. It could have gone on the outside of the defender a lot more because that's his weaker side rather than coming inside and trying to get your shot. A coach understands that. If I start talking to a coach about writing strings or lists in Python, they haven't got a clue what's going on. But if I'm speaking to an analyst, they might know what I'm talking about. So I think that it's very interesting um, to be able to define yourself in one role. But if you have to perform other duties, you also have to have that skill set. Yeah, um,
0: like young coaches coming up through the ranks now, they're now having to learn really computer-based technical skills are you find, is that part of their course?
1: Yeah, so actually so there's some, two people I know who's doing the FFA A license at the moment and part of that course is to provide like certain presentations and to provide, analyse a couple of games and provide data on those games and stuff like that and actually it's the same in England, so I have a friend who's doing his A license in England and again they have to do the same. I think it's really important because I think that even as a manager, even though I see the manager and the coach as two separate roles, a manager still should know what a coach needs to do and he should, still should know what an analyst needs to do. Otherwise, how's he going to instruct him? So I think that's important that the FAs now internationally are bringing those yeah. types of skill set in. And hopefully, as I've said, it starts to upgrade the opinion of what these people actually do. Mm. It is good because to be a coach, I think you've got to be charismatic. I think you've got to be a people person. I think you've got to be able to read people's emotions. And I think you've got to understand when it's right to step in and say something and when it's not. And that in itself is a skill set. And that's something that not everybody possesses. But that doesn't mean they don't love football and don't want a job in football. So I think that it's good that the industry is encouraging to make the industry better, but also a different demographic of people with that skill set, if that makes sense, rather than maybe keeping it amongst the current yeah.
0: demographic. I was, a, I was just thinking, because we're the same age, so we're the millennials, so we knew a time before mm-hmm. technology and then we kind of grew up with technology. Does that make sense? So yeah. I, think, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think because of before technology, there was a lot more emphasis on the people side and understanding people, working well with people, whereas now we're introducing technology and we're kind of taking away some of the human-centric side of it. Mm. Do you see that as as an issue or a challenge?
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that um, any successful athlete or team or club will tell you how important it is to have that cohesive environment. And I don't believe you can have a cohesive environment if you take the human-centric part out of it because how can you interact? Like yeah. you need to be able to be, I don't know what the, the right phrase is like a likable person. People, people need to respect each other and they need to have, have that, not admiration, that understanding that, okay, yeah. if this person's telling me to do something, then it's always human nature to kind of be a bit negative towards that. If someone's telling you to do something, but if there's that trust element involved, which you get from being a human... Unless we start to just condition all academy players to, well, okay, once we punch this information into this piece of software, when it comes out with a number and it tells you to do something, you just have to do it. Yeah, I think that stops people thinking for themselves. Um, I like it when a player challenges me.
0: Mm.
1: I like it because it shows me one or two things. It shows me that I care, and it shows me that they still need to know something. Yeah. So that if they don't believe me, then I have to show them. Mm. And once I show them. If they don't believe me, then I have to convince them. So there's that, still that human element about it. Now, I'm not saying that I'm, <laughs> I get to my end goal all the time. And I'm not even saying that every time I say something, it's gospel and it's 100% correct. But because there's that trust element there, because you create that mm. from a human environment, from being able to communicate, that you'd like to think that more often than not, people just listen and people take that information on board. Mm. That's what makes teams successful. Awesome.
0: So we've talked a lot
1: through the prism
0: or through the context of football but do you find that some of, a lot of the principles are quite consistent across different sports or is there one sport which is really taken to this technology and really kind of showcasing what's out there?
1: I think even though I lived in America for a year I never took an interest in the other sports which is one of my biggest regrets although I, I had a very demanding job so I was working quite a lot but on the TV, you know, on the TV, when you look at like baseball and basketball, they play, geez, they play each other, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine times or whatever it is in the space of a two-week window. So there would have been a good opportunity there to to look at how these guys also coach or even just how these teams work or operate average they just deal with the demand of the amount of games. Now I do know in terms of I mean what I'm doing right now is quite similar to what other clubs are doing, whether it's here in Australia or abroad. I could imagine that a sport like basketball would be heavily statistically data driven. Yeah. But purely down to the isolation of event that happens. You know, if you have a shot within the key, the right. success rate of that shot should be this amount. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas I look at football and I think if you have a shot in the penalty area, well, if you're a defender you're going to have a lower conversion rate than if you're a forward. Mm. Whereas in basketball, I would imagine that, yes, of course, you're going to have your key players and your marquee players, but 90% of them should be able to score 90% of the time from within the key. Mm. That would be an expectation of being an elite NBA player. right? Yeah. So I would imagine they'd be quite heavily statistically driven. I reckon that that hockey, rugby, American lacrosse, I guess, uh, even AFL here, Would still be heavily driven with, with good analysis departments. Um, and I reckon that, I reckon that individual sports like table tennis, maybe even something like badminton or even sprinting and long jump have also developed significantly by using analysis tools and software, even if it's biomechanical movement. I mean, golf as an individual sport for a start, you know, the objective is the same. How do we get this small ball into this hole? But there's multiple different ways of being able to do it, different swings, different approaches, different foot placement, different biomechanics of movement. And if you've got video, then the opportunities are endless in terms of what you can do and what you can look at. So, uh, yeah, I would say that other industries. In fact, in my honest opinion, in just my own opinion, yeah. I would say football is behind. Really? I would say football is behind. Yeah, I reckon so. Yeah, I do. I
0: reckon and is that is just behind. because it's more only really professionals use it or just across the broad? Um, it's not really adopted.
1: Yeah, like I say, maybe it might just be an incredibly biased opinion, but when I look at like, so even watching the Jordan documentary that's been on Netflix, Mm. you can see all their plays written down and some of the data that they've used statistically. You're looking at that, that that was the 90s. Yeah. That was in the 90s when he was there. And yeah, I just think that maybe, like I say, from personal experience and research and investigation, I feel like being a football analyst is not necessarily, outside of the elite teams, is not necessarily appreciated as much as perhaps it should be. Yeah. Just in terms of the gain that it can give you, if I didn't have uh, opposition scout report and data produced on that, how can I inform my players how best to play at the weekend?
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, I've got a final wrap-up question. Yeah. So you're pretty close to this and you're probably... At the forefront of the technology like what excites you and what do we have to look forward to in terms of like the application of technology when it comes to sport
1: oh i think like um i use this great example when you look at monday night football on sky sports with gary neville and he's doing animations and showing you things look I'm not trying to be arrogant. It's, yeah. it's to boost the common man's opinion and viewpoint on the game. Yeah, That's what that's for. But I love that show because it shows that there is an interest in further understanding how teams play, how teams are adopting a style and philosophy, what they were doing last year and this year. And that, I think he's offering a great skill set there. And I think that football can learn a lot, especially at a grassroots level, by looking at these shows and saying, actually a minute, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to observe and analyze what my players do in training and in games, as well as maybe observe and analyze your own, your own ability in that asset. And I think that, yeah, if more things like that would be very, very valuable. For instance, we spoke about, I spoke briefly about hashtag United. Yeah. What if they had an analyst who did a show On the teams they play i think people would watch it i think people on youtube would watch it Mm. and again does it boost the coverage of the game yes does it boost money in the game yes therefore does it boost potential opportunities in the game yes yes it does and i think that look i don't work full-time in the digital world but i think the amount of data now that we can capture is so vast and so broad in terms of what we used to be able to capture I think that we can present this back and give very, very interesting information that people want to know or people are interested to hear. And I think that, like I say, that boosts the game itself because people become more interested in it when there's more talking points. I mean, look, I saw, oh, it's, very, it's a very easy piece of data to capture, but how many points have been won or lost with VAR decisions? That's because somebody is capturing data, watching games, yeah. capturing data, and then presenting that data back. But it's presented in a format that me, the common man, wants to see. Yeah. I don't want to see it in dot point or coded language. I want to see it in a visualization that allows me to go, oh, mm. wow, that's amazing. That man and I have, acc- have accrued an extra 17 points because of the AR decision. Like, when you see that, you're like, oh, wow. And that would never have happened if people are not interested in data in the game.
0: Yeah, I can really resonate that with that looking at Monday Night Football and seeing even when you look at it at that elite level, how that is still influencing how you play at grassroots roots level because it's the access that you now have to it and the exposure.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, who knows, in five to ten years, I spoke about these some of these analysis companies being very expensive. In five to ten years, the market might be so saturated that some of this information might even be free. Yeah. Who knows? Or just
0: like, means like standard, that just... like standard yeah. practice, yeah.
1: Yeah, or even mandatory. Mm. If a governing body says, for you to be an accredited team in our league, you must have an analyst. You must have this piece of software. You must have this access to these banks. It's only going to improve the industry.
0: What a time to be alive, eh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not so much at the moment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. <don't... laughs> catch it was awesome i'm gonna have to um come to sydney once this covid stuff is all done and dusted and come up and and have a little session and and have a beer you're very welcome but no thank you very much and like we can probably talk about this stuff all day so we'll probably have another podcast in the near future but thank you very much no problem all right mate